When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello, and welcome to the Rachman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator of the Financial Times. In this week's podcast, we'll be focusing on the impact of the coronavirus on Africa. My guest is Donald Kabaruka, a Rwandan economist and former president of the African Development Bank, who's been appointed by the African Union to be one of its four special envoys mobilizing international support for the continent as Africa struggles to deal with the coronavirus. So how is Africa coping? COVID-19 originated in China and the hardest hit countries have been in Europe and the United States. But from the start, there's been deep anxiety about what would happen if the disease really took hold in Africa. So far, Africa's been spared the worst. At the beginning of this week, there had only been 1,400 COVID-related deaths recorded in Africa, which is less than the US is currently recording every day. Some dare to hope that there may be factors protecting Africa, such as younger population or warmer weather. Others point to the fact that, contrary to stereotypes, many African governments have responded quickly and effectively with lockdowns and public health messages. Typical is this new version of Miriam Makeba's popular song, Pata Pata, re-recorded for UNICEF by Angelique Kijo from Benin. Pata Pata means to touch and to feel, which we shouldn't do. Everybody can help fight COVID-19 by doing what we need to do. Now, South Africa, for example, has even been able to announce that it's easing its very strict lockdown, as the country's president, Cyril Ramaphosa, announced last week. We are calling on all South Africans to wear a face mask whenever you leave home. Our clothing and textile industry, including small businesses, are gearing up to produce these masks on a mass scale. But even if the effects of the disease turn out not to be as dire as some feared, the economic effects of COVID-19 on Africa could be disastrous, with the collapse of export markets, restrictions on movement and the virtual disappearance of the tourism industry, which is so vital to countries such as Kenya, Egypt, South Africa and Rwanda. It already seems as if Africa is about to suffer its first continent-wide recession for a generation. And as the head of the IMF, Kristalina Georgieva, pointed out, that raises the question of debt relief. 
as it was in the case of the uh, global financial crisis, uh, the world under the pressure of necessity always comes uh, together. I can say that uh, just seeing how the G20 united around debt standstill for the poorest members gives me that confidence uh, that whatever is necessary, we will collectively do in the face of this tremendous crisis. My guest this week, Dr. Donald Kabaruka, is perfectly placed to discuss all of these issues. After 10 years at the African Development Bank, he's now moved on to global health issues as head of the Global Fund to fight AIDS, TB and malaria, and now COVID-19. I started by asking him why he thinks the disease hasn't spread as fast in Africa. Look, these are early days. Uh, We have 52 countries affected but 27,000 cases, of which 1,300 have passed away. It is still very much uh, an urban phenomenon. Thank God the rural areas are not yet affected. Most of the cases have come from uh, travelers uh, abroad. So the, the Amagedon we feared has not yet materialized, but we are extremely cautious because our ability to contain uh, this uh, crisis if it became extensive, is very limited. Remember that, you know, we have maybe, what, five ICU beds for every one million persons. So we're hopeful that uh, we can uh, bend the curve quickly. There are some countries like uh, South Africa, Senegal, Rwanda, Ghana, Uganda, many others, where I think that is a real possibility. But it is too early to say, it's too early to say. And, I mean, you mentioned South Africa and a couple of others which have put in place quite fierce lockdowns really quite quickly and and really enforced them. But is it possible in countries where so many people live from day to day, live very close to other households or multi-person households, to maintain a lockdown of that kind? Look, it it was between the rock and the hard place, Uh, not to say a good year not, because the window was very narrow there was a real risk that Africa could be the next epicenter. So the source of infections had to be cut off by suspending uh, international travel. An attempt had to be done to confine this to where it materialized first, many of the cities, because a disaster had to be prevented. Now, you're right, uh, the social economic consequences, given the nature of our economies, uh, is quite uh, dramatic. 50% of GDP is from informal businesses, uh, from a sector, 80% of the employment. So you want to make sure that you can contain uh, this problem without uh, bringing about a humanitarian crisis. But for now, many governments uh, had no choice. And you mentioned the threat of a humanitarian crisis, and that's obviously on a lot of people's minds. I saw that the, the head of the World Food Programme was talking about maybe uh, several dozen countries being threatened by what he called famines of biblical proportions. I think a good many of those in Africa. Is that really the secondary effect of the pandemic, not so much the disease, but the collapse in economies and the lockdowns? Mr. Gideon, I saw this report from uh, WFP, uh, which says uh, probably 130 million people could be pushed to the brink by the end of this year. This is not because of lack of food or lack of supplies. It's because of lack of income. People who live on a day-to-day basis lose their livelihoods, and therefore they cannot access... uh, food supplies. Many of our governments are trying their best to put in place safety nets. We're hoping that from some of the support we've been getting from the International Monetary Fund and others, 
can be used for these safety nets uh, to provide for people who are confined and who live on a day-to-day basis. That's the immediate crisis. Also, people are worrying about the longer term. And I saw that Paul Kagame of Rwanda was saying that potentially this uh, COVID-19 impact could set Africa back a generation. That sounds very dramatic. Do you share his fears and why would that happen? This is uh, a crisis of unforeseen proportions. I think the president is right to say that uh, it could set us back uh, 30 years, basically meaning that all the things we have done from the turn of the millennium to turn around the disease burden in HIV, AIDS, in malaria, in uh, going from negative economic growth to real per capita growth for the first time in a long time, all this could be wiped out. Now, you add that to the other challenges we're facing, climate change, issues of jobs, this could set us back a long time, especially if some of the projections I've seen uh, from the IMF that some of the countries could go down to negative 6% growth, that we are talking about $8 billion uh, lost per year. We have recovered from the global financial crisis where everyone thought Africa could be seriously damaged. We have recovered from Ebola. The disease burden uh, still large, but it's being contained. But essentially, it's about how can we safeguard Africa's achievements over the last uh, three decades? How can we build quickly shock absorbers to minimize social and economic damage? So yeah, it's a very serious crisis, which could set us back. This is why we think uh, global cooperation is important at this time. Yeah, you mentioned global cooperation, and I, I see that you are one of four ambassadors to the outside world that the African Union has asked to to deal with uh, with COVID and the impact of COVID. What are you and your colleagues going to try and do? What What's the message you're bringing? So, Gideon, we have essentially two tasks. This is a global crisis, not about rich countries, poor countries, not about North and South. It is a problem which will be resolved at its weakest links. Whether it is access to medical supplies, whether it's being part of the global stimulus, whether it is uh, getting breathing space in terms of debt service, we believe in that way we can actually be part of this global uh, stimulus. The risk is if we do not resolve this issue at uh, its weakest links, it could be with us for quite some time. So our first mission is to say, look, we're in this together. We're not asking for special attention, but want to be part of any solutions which are envisaged. The second uh, mission we have is this. You know, in crisis times, governments all over the world are often overwhelmed by offers of advice, by help. Any coordination can be a problem, even rich countries. So our second mission is to pull together all the regional, continental, and global support, whether from international financial organizations, from bilaterals, so that we have got a continental response, like strengthening the African Center for Disease Control, like ensuring that uh, access to debt service is inclusive, that the breathing space uh, we're looking for, the standstill, can extend to 24 months. So we are saying we are going to do quite a lot ourselves uh, as African countries, but this is a global problem. And so far, I mean, it's early days yet, but... Have you found it easy to get your message across, to get attention from uh, the rich world, if I can call them that? Because obviously, countries in the European Union and the United States are in the middle of a crisis themselves. Right. 
Look, the first steps by the G20 have been very, very encouraging. I think the decision by Brazil Wood institutions at the spring meeting uh, last week, again, were a very good first step. But we are looking for something bolder. We are looking for something additional. Because typically in a crisis like this, the risk you have is that uh, you rearrange desks, you rearrange accounts. We're looking for uh, additionality. We're looking for speed. We're looking for flexibility. You know, I listened to the British uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer uh, presenting the stimulus to the British Parliament. And he said, this is no time for orthodoxy. This is no time for ideology. We should do whatever it takes. And I think these are sentiments which we broadly share. And I think together with uh, Bretton Woods institutions, bilateral partners like the EU, all of us, we should do whatever it takes to create the fiscal space needed to ensure that uh, we can return to normalcy. So, first steps, very encouraging, but we are now engaged in the second level attempt to make sure that we have got a response which is commensurate with the nature of the crisis. And are we talking in a very large part about debt relief and debt write-offs? See, let me be very clear on that. Africa is not asking that our debt should be subject of default. Not at all. We're interested to continue accessing capital markets in the future. We want to respect our signatures. But we're saying that for countries now spending up to 30% of the budget uh, on debt service rather than on this health emergency, a one to two year standstill to provide that uh, resource needed to strengthen the health system is the right thing to do for, for resilience. And therefore, with uh, bilateral organizations, members of the Paris Club, or those who are not in the Paris Club, we think this decision is right. We are aware that private debt is something more complex, and we are looking around at different instruments which are market-friendly, but without reneging on our signature. So we're talking about breathing space, fiscal space, but continuing access uh, to capital markets. And as I understand it, I think roughly 20% of African debt, if you take it on a continental basis, is owed to China. Do you need a separate dialogue with China or they can, are they part of this? Do they think in the same way as the other people who are lending money to Africa? China obviously is an important partner to Africa. China is a member of the G20 and many African countries have a permanent dialogue uh, with China. I have reason to believe that uh, in terms of uh, reprofiling debt, in terms of uh, restructuring debt, in terms of uh, temporary standstill, the country is concerned, uh, there are not many, uh, would be having this conversation with China. And by the way, this will not be the first time it has been done. They do it on a bilateral basis, in a country by country. So I'm quite confident that uh, we'll be able to get uh, the same treatment is that from members of uh, the Paris Club. As you said, I mean, China's played a very important role in the development of, of Africa in the last 10, 15 years. I've got some hints uh, reading the newspapers and talking to people that COVID-19 has caused some tensions between China and some African countries, clashes with ambassadors and so on, in a similar way, perhaps, to the way it's uh, heightened tensions between China and the European Union. Is that something that you've noticed as well? And is it uh, presumably manageable? I think we should put this into proportion. Like you are reading the press about some social tensions, I think, in uh, Guangzhou. But these things yeah. are not uh, 
of significance to the relationship. I think between China and Africa, the relationship is so solid and strong, as it is with other countries, that you can manage those kind of localized tension, which are often uh, due to misunderstanding. But I think the most important thing is to say that in this crisis we're living in today, uh, there's no time to pass around the blame. It is time to get hands on deck, whether it is on the pandemic itself, whether it is on the fiscal issues, to see how we can uh, get things behind us. We learned from Ebola that in that crisis in the Mano River area, many more people died from malaria than Ebola. And therefore, we have to contain this pandemic, but continue to focus on the other big killers uh, because those uh, overwhelm the system. We have to continue to figure out how to provide the fiscal space for all these things we are doing, and we have to do them together. I mean, I was at the first G20 summit in London, and I saw how uh, global corporation managed to avoid the Armageddon. And I'm confident this time, low-income countries, emerging markets, rich countries, uh, everyone can get together to have it done. And I hope that after this crisis, uh, we learn that uh, limited nationalism uh, is indeed limited. We're no longer between north and south, east and west, that we're in, uh, in the same boat, and we have to survive and get out of this together. Okay, well, that's a, a hopeful, uh, fairly positive note to end on, on a rather depressing subject. So thank you very much indeed for joining me, uh, Donald Kabaruka. Thank you, Gideon. Thank you so much. That was Donald Kabaruka in Geneva, ending this edition of the Rachman Review. And if you could spare a few moments, we'd love to hear from you about what you think about the show and how it can improve. We're running a survey, which you can find at ft.com slash survey. You might also like to subscribe to the FT's Coronavirus Business Update, a level-headed expert email briefing on how the pandemic's affecting global markets, business, and workplaces. Visit ft.com slash RachmanReviewCovid to sign up for free access for 30 days. And please join us again next week. You can find us in all the usual podcast apps.